What's up, everyone? This is Hannah with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I am a physical therapist here in Charleston, and I am the new host of this podcast. This podcast is meant to give you the correct health and fitness information, along with spreading awareness of all of the different health and fitness professionals here in Charleston. I love being able to use this podcast as a way to meet all of those around me that are trying to make the world a better place. And my mission as a PT is to educate people and to empower them to take ownership and control of their health. This is season three of the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? This is Dr. Hannah Briel, your host of the Healthy Charleston Podcast. Today's special guest you may know as Mobility Wad, the Supple Leopard, or now as the Ready State. I bet all my previous CrossFit coaches are super jealous of me right now, and I'm super excited to introduce Kelly Sturette. Kelly, also known as K-Star, is actually a physical therapist, and I just found out a couple weeks ago, I could have sworn he was just some internet guru. Kelly has truly pushed our profession forward. He has changed the game. He's paved a huge path for our society to improve. In this episode, we talked a lot. It's almost two hours. It's a lot of BS, definitely some gossip, and then a ton of discussion around Recovery tequila, performance satire, physical therapy, of course, the state of healthcare, the basics, the non-negotiable, and the importance of community. We take some really deep dives. Again, we almost talked for two hours, so put in your headphones, start cleaning your house or something because it's Kelly Surratt. You're going to want to hear all of this. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Also, side note, in the first few minutes of this episode, Kelly is getting a tonal installed in his gym. So if you hear any drilling or any loud noises, sorry about that. I wanted to keep that part of the conversation on the podcast, but do not be alarmed. It does not last the whole episode. Thank you for bearing with us. Doing how? Uh, tell me about the reverberations after uh, the Pump Up Academy weekend in Charleston. Oh man, um, it's crazy. That was only a week ago, right? It's been a big. I mean, there's a lot of changes happening. Um, to made to move right now. I'm sure. I think when the podcast comes out, Wait, tell me more. Like, what do you mean? Like two nitro lines, like a cold brew and a nitro. Like, oh what do you mean? yeah. Well, we're actually installing three tonals, and when you sit on the tonal, you'll have nitro into your veins. Yeah. How does it feel to be the newest team member, Kelly? Dude, it is so good. I mean, is that the kind of changes you're talking about? It's really amazing. Uh, I just, you know, I just hope that, um, you know, you guys don't make fun of my exercise selection. No. Now, well, wait, you use exercises? I don't even use exercises. You just, uh, you know, I follow Greg Lehman and he's definitely like walked backwards on like, well, you know, I still have to do biomechanics and exercise selection and you know, like, oh, did all your pain planning not just work out the way you did, buddy? Oh. I do love Greg Lehman. Oh, good. He's a dick. Really? Yeah, he's gotten better, but he's a total dick. Have you met him personally? <laughs> no, just uh, interviewed him and chatted him up. And he, um, the backstory is one time we, um, 
I wanted him to come on and be the voice of PT around pain. We did a whole season on pain in our podcast. Yeah. And then we interviewed him and then someone's like, well, and we took a picture of us interviewing him and someone's like, wow, dude, it's really great. It looks really big of you that you're interviewing him given that he just trashes you so publicly. And I was like, what? And um, so they sent me a bunch of links where he's just talking so much shit, just like just low level shit, just bullshit. And um, like I was a punchline to a joke because, you know, the PTs were just so late to the game on all of this stuff. They just, they couldn't relate to where we we're coming from. And then I called him out on it and he was like, uh, Oh, uh, and I was like, well, you just thought like you just use my community or you just like play me like a fool or like you didn't have the guts or the huevos to just say that like you disagreed. And he was like, oh, I've changed. Like he was so just caught looking like a unprofessional cunt. When was that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Three years ago, maybe. Oh geez. It's pretty recent. Um, I started looking into his stuff because I was on this really bad rotation and like in a mill, every way that you move oh. is bad for you and that wow. kind of thing. And I just like, I started looking up this stuff and I just like needed to, I needed someone to like reassure me that the feelings I was having were like real and valid. And so like all the pain science stuff, like biomechanics, you know, that like reconciling biomechanics, I believe is like what his blog is called. That helped me tremendously just like rationalize like why I was feeling all of these things, like logically, okay, it does make sense. Um, and I like read his blog, like the Bible um, for a while. He, he is a super smarty pants, really is a smarty pants. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I've, in the same way that he's like, he's gotten everyone to think and talk a little bit differently about pain. He has also had to come around to be like, Oh, I guess, I guess it's technique and technique does matter, you know? And, so, you know, and I think biomechanics is actually the wrong phrase because he doesn't, doesn't talk about my biomechanics. Biomechanics is like, you know, the, the nuances of like joint forces and, you know, and shear and rotation and like none of that's really part of this conversation. It's all about conversation. They're doing a little drilling. Sorry. Oh, what's going on? <laughs> but movement theory, right, is, you know, and like lever theory, the way the Chinese lifters talk about it is important. Right. And there are positions of the knee where you can tra transmit more force. So, you know, it's been, he's been really useful for me to make sure that I am talking in a way that I think is still even more correct. Like all, like I said before, all the, the detractors are really important because they can help you to make stronger arguments and explain. So I'm like, look, I'm like I just talk about biomotor expression and you, you know, you can either generate more force in this position or less force in that position. It doesn't, he's right. It doesn't make it a good position or a bad position. It just makes it a more valid position to generate more force in, right? Yeah. It's again, it's like the pendulum. It's like, we're just, we can't find a happy medium. Like we can't all agree. And it's like, oh, well, you said this like one bad word or like this one word that I don't really agree with. It's like, I'm going to call you out on it. And it's like, we're like you said last week, like we're all just trying to figure this out. Nobody knows the cause of pain. Exactly. No, nobody really even knows what PT is. Like we're all in the same boat trying to make people healthier, trying to make people just move more, but we're all so against each other. And like, as soon as I maybe make a mistake on Instagram, people are like, Oh, you made a mistake. And I tell you what, it's particularly ugly because you're a woman. It makes it even worse on Instagram. I mean, it really is like, you know, that, you know, I don't need some Instagram hoe up in here. Like, I mean, I was like, 
I don't even know how. Um, I think that that's really even particularly gross. You know, it's just, it's even grosser. Um, what's I going to say? Uh, yeah, I just went on the, do you know the Bob and Brad's famous PT? You know those guys? No. So isn't that crazy? So Bob and Brad, uh, Dave and Brad, Bob and Brad, um, there are these two Midwest PTs in their 60s who have 3 million YouTube followers. And they're like every instructor you ever had wearing like sweats and a weird yes. tank top. And they have, are speaking the people's truth to the like, uh, and what's so funny is that obviously they're old school, like in their 60s PTs who are just like three ways to help back pain. And they're moving it out in front of the paywall, which I think is so great. But he, they just became, like, I think they just thought they invented this. And then they just became aware of Supple Leopard like four months ago. And so I was just on the podcast. And he's like, oh, my God. Like, you make these tools? I, did, I read your book. And I got my squat down below 45 degrees. <laughs> oh and I, I, I started, my, I, my golf is better. And I was like, isn't it crazy? It's crazy that this stuff works, right? And it's just so fun that, like, you know, like, you just pick your head up. And you're like, wow, look at all these people doing extraordinary work. And I just think. I'm like, those guys aren't competitors. We're not competitors. Stop it. I'm like, they're speaking to a whole demographic that will never listen to you or listen to me. And that means we all need to like show each other. I'm like, look, these fucking guys are fucking awesome. You know, Yeah. blow each other up. I just, I think we're just so insecure. I think fundamentally because there's such a scarcity mindset around what we do. You know, I remember like I have a few superpowers, pattern recognition, I'm pretty good at. I spot talent like a motherfucker. Like I can spot talent. Um, and I can read a room really well, right? And I remember being in my rotations at Kaiser being like, the amount of weird triangulating and women cutting each other and this is my room and stealing this power oh, and all of that interpersonal drama. And I was like, this is the worst place to work ever. And then, you know, the CI was like, do you want to apply here? I was like, fuck this place. I will no. never work in this fuck place, you know? No. Just because of that. So I think, I think those early experiences for me really set the tone for, you know, what are we doing? Like our, like we're fighting over the little tiny slice of pie. I'm like, look how much fucking pie is around. Quit that. You know, that's the thing. It's like, I was thinking about this because so like literally we, we had this big conversation about social media, like posting the positives, bringing out the positives. And then we had an incident last week, last weekend where someone commented on our Instagram and it was like nothing helpful at all. And I'm thinking, and I'm like, who is the enemy in this, situation we're all trying to like make sense of what what the heck are we doing like what does any of this mean like we i am not your enemy you are not my enemy the old system of like healthcare insurance that's the enemy the take this pill don't address your lifestyle don't move it's bad for you like us pts like we we are not each other's enemies we're all just trying to like if you can give me some knowledge and I can give you some knowledge and we can go treat people better, like, isn't that the point? But we're so all against each other. And like you said, I think it's because we're so insecure because we don't really know what we're doing. And we're so nervous that someone else is going to like call us out or do it better or make it seem like what we're doing is wrong because we, we don't know what we're doing. Like, why do we not know what we're doing? Yeah. I mean, I'm like, you know, I went to grad school too. Like sometimes I'm trying to remind people I'm like, Hey, grad school, you grad school. We didn't take the same exam. Like 
we had the same licensure. Like, I don't know what school you went to, but it wasn't harder or more rigorous than my school. So I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, sir. No, I read you know? one article that you didn't read, and that's why I can comment on your Instagram. <laughs> really so, oh, snap. Like, there's there we so go. much information on every, like, Instagram, Dr. Google. Like, there's so much information that I can probably have any belief and find information to support my belief, even if that belief is, like, the stupidest thing in the world. Let's just think of all the conspiracy theories. Did you see the tequila post today on my Instagram? No, but I was going to ask you about that. Let me see. So, someone post on it? Someone commented? Oh, there's a few comments, but. They're like, why are you going to tequila? Is PT not successful for you? <laughs> because we, we basically came up with this idea of making a recovery tequila for April Fool's Day. Is this on Supple? Uh, no, uh, the Ready State. Oh. So we made leopard tears, which is like our Blanco tequila that has collagen, vitamins, amino acids, glucosamine. It's like the perfect post-exercise. And our friends who actually make tequila, I went to their place, sat down with them in their lab. We, like, we sold it hard on April Fool's Day. And people can't tell that it's a total fucking joke about a recovery tequila. And it speaks to the fact like the joke is like, I am so serious the whole time talking about this recovery tequila. Right. And oh you can't tell because that's like someone, someone was going to do this. Like someone reached out to me through our intercom and was like, can we be the distributors of recovery tequila? And I was like, you know, this is a fucking joke about peak fitness. Like if <laughs> like, why would I fuck with tequila and try to fuck up tequila? Like I'll eat a steak and some tequila and be fine. But this is like MCT toothpaste. Like this yes. is, oh this is, this is represents like people don't understand how much farce this is, but I'm holding up the mirror to our entire industry right now and saying, if you think this is far from the truth, recovery tequila. Come said that I was like oh like that doesn't really make a lot of sense but then I looked at this and I was like oh this is pretty legit like this is pretty official and people are commenting they're like this better not be an April Fool's thing this is the best thing I'm going to the pre-order someone was like oh Kirkland's tequila gives me a headache but Don Julio doesn't I mean people are pumped for this <laughs> right and meanwhile you go to our link and we're like sold out sorry like one of the ingredients that I list in the in the when you go to our page to buy it is vitamin T. That's not a thing. No, it's vitamin T is tequila. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> like, I've never heard of that one. <laughs> I know a lot of things. Someone's like, this is how you're playing the game, man. But that's like most people that are commenting are commenting positive things. Like people are excited. It's like because how we are at peak bullshit. Like that's what this joke is about. Like it's it's so Andy Kaufman holding up like the ridiculousness of this is what we're selling as fitness. It's just I think it's just fucking crazy that I made a joke about recovery tequila. Just say that out loud, recovery tequila. That's why I was like, oh well, I mean it's Kelly Surratt, so I guess he knows what he's talking about. See, yeah, I just like I'm just like I'm like you know like leopard tears. I like leopard tears, and you, I know the tequila thing, like that you're you're starting, but. It's just not, I mean, it's like all the supplements and it's like, I mean, I love Whole Foods, but almost everything at Whole Foods, it's like the brain oil. I'm like, why are you putting brain oil in your coffee when you don't even exercise regularly and you don't even eat enough protein? Like, why do we think that we can like hack the system? 
if we uh, if we just keep chatting for one more second, they'll be done drilling, and we'll be fine. Oh, I'm totally putting all this up. It's fine. Oh, okay. fantastic. Where are you recording? Or where where are you right now? This is um this is our two thousand square foot studio. So we have um below me is our fulfillment products, all that stuff. And then we have over there is a full gym on that side. And then behind this wall is our white studio where we film everything. Oh. So we're, we're just happening. This, this place is six and a half minutes from my house. We have this incredible coffee machine. Like you guys, we have a layered superfood coffee machine here, this industrial espresso. We have a bar. Like it's, this is like, it's the greatest workplace ever. The recovery tequila is over there, right? That's exactly right. The recovery tequila bar is right there. You're not going to tell everyone it was a joke. We're not. We're just going to keep it straight face as long as we can. What are they drilling right now? They're putting in the tunnel that they've mounted on the wall. Mm. So you have one? Yeah, we just only only one $5,000 machine. Oh, just come on, dude. $5,000. They're just about done, John. Have you, so you use tonal? Do you like it? Um, I, this is, uh, I rent, met the founder at like some local biotech unconference and I was like, oh great, like another mirror that helps you do yoga. And then I picked it up and I was like, oh, this thing's legit. And the reason it's legit is um, you can lift heavy, heavy weights on it. Like you can, the average person is not strong enough to exceed tonal. You can press, push a button and do heavy eccentrics. So you can do heavy eccentric overloading with it. You can set it up so it's accommodating resistance. So you hit the end and it gets lighter and lighter. So you keep moving. So it'll always match your resistance. You can measure power. Um, and then because it's two handles or a bar in the middle connected to the handles, the arms move down. You can basically, no one is afraid to use it. It's not a dumbbell. It's not a barbell. And so you can have legitimate strength and conditioning in people's homes, plus all the shitty accessory work you want. I think it's fucking rad. But the measurement thing, I think, is really potentially very interesting. So, and, you know, all of these people are trying to figure out how to keep people in the funnel. And, uh, you know, we've been, like, all of the computer vision people's stuff have been knocking on our doors because they've figured out we have an algorithm that works. So it's, it's fun. And they're, they're a local San Francisco company. So, you know, oh, they were like, well, awesome. I was like, step one, why don't you give us a chance to dick around on your machines? Yeah. Just and so it. that's what, yeah, just so we can see. Cause I'm like, if I have one more super skill, it's um, called off brand use where I'm like, Oh, that's really good. But have you tried this? And people are like, Whoa, 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 that's not supposed to do it that way. So <laughs> I, I do a lot of, we do, I do, I'm the, chief of dicking around and there's a lot of experience to be had in dicking around i think that's what the title of this podcast is going to be chief of dicking around yeah, yes I, I i play around and use as you know because again i think one of the things that's crucial for people is to appreciate that once we understand principle and math then tools are just tools like you know, if I know how to make fire with matches, I don't have to prove that making fire with a lighter is still a valid technique because the principles are the same. It's just a different tool, right? And that has to do with tonal because... Because the dicking around. So, you know, if we're talking about draining lymphatics, 
then it doesn't matter if I elevate or compress or use muscles or right. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden you're like, why do I have to prove to you that math works every single time? You know what I mean? Like that's math. So I, I think about, what is it? No, go ahead. The, the, so Dane used tonal when he was like in a hotel in DC. And mm. I, was like, I was like, what's going on? And then I heard about tonal because my mom texted me and I'm going to call it out. Charleston sports med, maybe like ortho put a, up an article about tonal. And it was like, it's so cool because it's the safest way to prevent injuries. Like it's the safest way to gain muscle mass. And because of the way the resistance is, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, have you heard about this? Your brother sent this to me. I think it would be a really great way for me to train or like do something safer. Or like, I think it would be good for older people because it's, it's nicer and it's less impact. So I'm like, okay, well, one, do you have $5,000? Two, have you ever heard of strength training? Because that's what this is. Like, and that, like you said, once you know that fire comes from matches and also the lighter, it's the same thing. It's also, it's like another, it's another MCT oil. People think it's doing something different. And if, if this gets people to strength train, heck yes, like you yes. said. And it obviously has so many other cool additions. Like maybe now we can only do eccentrics if we need to. It is less intimidating. A lot of great things, but people are viewing this as, as, as if it's something different. This is resistance training. This is what I've been telling you the whole time you need to do. But now it's $5,000 and you want to do it. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? And one of the things that we, one of the things I run everything through is does this scale across cohorts? So I'm like, okay, I got 40 kids and I got one tonal. Sorry. It's the tonal's gone. Right. So for me, there's a lot, like I'm like Russian stem is amazing, but I don't have 20, $10,000 units. So it's less effective a tool. So maybe on one-on-one -on -one, I'm doing like I can get people quickly through or, you know, people can do this at home and they're in less intimidating. Great. But again, I think it is, you're our right to be thinking about these barriers to entry and thinking about does the scale as it relates to like social justice. I'm like a kettlebell never has to be plugged in. You know, like, what do you mean? You only know how to work out on, on an exercise tunnel. What if the tunnel's not there? You know? So I think that's where, you know, we go, we go a few thousand years back and the Chinese have been lift, talking about lifting stones for fitness. You know, it's 3,000 years old. I'm like, yeah, there you go. Do you think that there will be a CrossFit open tonal version next year? Oh, oh, it's so good. But I'll tell you what, when you can see how much wattage you can put out doing thrusters on the tonal, that was the original article in CrossFit. Do you remember? I mean, that's unlike we can do that. We can actually measure who can put out the most wattage at these weights. And suddenly that becomes very compelling, don't you think? Ooh, yeah, because we're going to find the person with the, that can produce the most wattage in XYZ, and now they're going to be the fittest person. They're the fittest. Oh, I was like, oh, you know, because I'm like, look, I don't have to go ride a bike with you. I just have to get on my trainer and do more watts than you. I'm more fit. Oh, I, don't even have to, I don't have to go out in the real world and, and lose to you on some stupid hill because you're lighter than me. That's dumb. No, now Matt Frazier's probably glad he retired before he had to get on tonal. Seriously. I love the way your, your brain works. So how did your CrossFit Open experience go this year? Did you make the top 10% for the, the, the quarterfinals? Well, they have an adapted elderly division, which is, <laughs> which is really great. I just power cleaned 100 kilos yesterday. Nice. Oh, we're still we're in kilos? Sorry, that's, uh, that's seven kilopounds. What? <laughs> Nine stones. Oh, yes. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, um, I... Um, 
you know, that was one of my last goals was to be able to power clean effectively and receive, not muscle yeah. clean. Cause you know, so, uh, but you know, I've been scaling and working and I had a successful hundred kilo clean. So sort of my rehab goals, I'm done. I'm just, I'm out now. It's just tonal for me. Yeah. I'm done from now on. To toning. I'm just, I'm just going to work. I'm just going to work on toning. That is the, Oh my God. That's another point. I didn't think about that's the name of it is toning. We're toning. Like what is tone? What are we? What is, what is therapy? That's physical. It's the wrong word. Ooh, you know? That is a topic. That is a topic. You're not a physical therapist. You're a physio. You guys, I just want to say, um, I don't want to sound like some creepy older brother guy, but, uh, you guys have some fucking awesome shit going on in Charleston. Like, like I really, I'm rarely jealous of a culture, but you and Rachel and, and Mesa, and I feel like you got a crew down there of really cool. Eves, I mean, it's really, it's, I'm jealous of your community and crew that, that wow. good shit happens out of that. And, uh, I like, when I see that, I'm like, Oh, I'd love to be part of that. I really think that that's super, it's really amazing what you guys have done. And I've stopped all your Instagrams. Oh, perfect. Like way back when got to the high school pictures too. I went all the way back to the high school pictures. Oof. I need to delete this. You saw Stella though. You met Stella. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. Um, I think, uh, your, your swords womanship is really powerful. And, uh, John um, Snow. Yeah, John Snow. And and one of the things I don't know if you know, but in on Juliet's Instagram, so I'm not on social media, right? Juliet is on social media. My in, the ready state and all that shit is business. Then what's but leopard? That's just me. Okay. But I, there's not really a lot of posts. There's like ten posts there, right? Like, I'm yeah. supple leopard, but I'm just supple leopard. But Juliet. Um, at Mrs. Mobility Wad, or now she's just Juliet Starrett. Mm -hmm. She, um, you can really see our life there because she's on social media and, and Facebook and all that stuff. But um, we, hey, one second. Are you guys all set? Hey, thank you so much. No, appreciate you guys. That's so fast. Thank you. Um, she, we cosplayed our entire neighborhood Game of Thrones. What? And, and if you go into some of her, and it's not private and protected, but you should go back a little bit because you'll be like, it's so legit. I am obviously yeah, okay. got typecast. I wanted to be someone cool, but I'm the fucking mountain, of course. Oh my God. <laughs> and um, that's perfect. Not the hound, though. No, not the hound. I'm too, I'm too handsome for the hound. But, um, the, uh, but you guys playing, I was like, oh, I know these people. Cause they're my neighborhood. Like the costumes that people developed were bananas. What was she? She was Daenerys. Oh, duh. Targaryen, of course. Yeah. That's, that's who Juliet is. She's, we call her the authority. Hmm. Yeah, but she dies. I don't know if you've seen season eight or anything. Spoiler alert, everyone. What? So I read these books as a, a first year PT. One of my patients there, I think there were three of them at the time. And he's like, you've got to read this. This is crazy. So that was 2007 when I started reading those books. I think I just learned to read in 2007. I think I'm that old. And um, Juliet gave me so much shit because they were in this. Juliet refuses to read a paperback. That if it's a small book in this shape, she refuses to read it because it's obviously drivel because only like real literature doesn't come in a small beach paperback because she obviously hates fun. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but I'd be reading it in the hospital because Caroline was born a preemie. She was born six weeks early. So we were in the NICU for three weeks and I'd be reading game of Thrones, holding my do infant daughter 
and people would stop and be like, that book's fucking insane. How could you know? Have you gotten to the Red Wedding yet? And then enough people stopped me and talked about the books where Juliet's like, all right, I'll read them. And then we went down the rabbit hole. What did Caroline dress up as? I don't remember what she did that year. I don't think she was part of the ensemble. Um, they do creepy, like, eye contacts. Like, they go all in. Like, I think Caroline had, like, a bone in her head and this creepy, bloody eye. And, a, oh, okay. and like, they do that kind of stuff. She's still in the, like, I want to look scary for Halloween phase? I think so. I think so. So they don't mind being goofy. My kids are fucking funny. They're fucking hilarious. Yeah, I would hold on to that phase as long as you can before it gets to I want to look sexy Halloween phase. Yeah. That's a phase. And then it's I don't want to dress up at all. And then it's I'm going to dress up as the opposite sex. That was what I experienced, obviously, in 2019. And then, I mean, Halloween last year didn't really happen. Oh, I guess I was, I was again, a male. I was Rocky Balboa. Yeah, Rocky Balboa. Mm -hmm. And I was really glad you took out on the Russians because this was, it was super topical. And I thought yeah. felt like that was an allegory for, um, for the way it used to be in our country, not the way we love Russia through Trump. Oh, God. I haven't even seen the movie. Rachel was like, this is what you're dressing up as. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll I don't know. I don't know how you found Rachel or how you found each other. Maybe you're just the two Cheerios and a bowl of milk, but uh, she is rad. PT school. No, actually, I always say PT school, but we met in the Honors College at South Carolina. We lived on the same, um, I lived on 4CA, she lived on 4B, and we would go to Sigma Chi parties together. We were in different sororities, but still friends. And then we lived together all through PT school. Um, she's my, she's my girl. She's you, my were Kappa, you were Kappa Gamma? No, what? I thought you looked Kappa Delta. I'm just kidding. I was just fucking with you. <sighs> I feel like you didn't even really know. You just. Kappa you, Gamma? That's what no. I, no, I saw, I saw because uh, I was a pike for like two minutes. Oh, I dated a pike for a very, I was pike dream girl actually. Oh, who knew? I, um, I was president of my pledge class. I didn't drink. And then we got a house my sophomore year. And then I pretty much was like, I have nothing to do with these people. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. I had the, I had the entire collegiate experience, and then I was just boating at that point. So who cares? Anyway, I digress. So back to Rachel. Yes, definitely was the easiest, like the easiest decision we've ever made. We were like, we need to hire a PT. We need to hire a PT for this location. I was like, Rachel, for sure. Oh, so great, Rachel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. The CrossFit really ends up cutting through a lot of bullshit you sort of know who the people are when it gets hard when they like are their worst selves it's the longest uh job interview process ever and then you understand that they understand how to program how to think about programming like it's it's a no-brainer when someone has the skills plus is a crossfitter i really it i'm like oh i you go here, here are the keys to my house i mean you get it you know it's a great for like community too because you build that community so quickly with your when you're with the same people you know an hour at least a day so you talked about like having a cool community in charleston i i do feel like the people that i'm surrounded with are i feel so cool to have all these people around me because i do are you are like, you engaged married just boyfriend just boyfriend is he from charleston so he's from lexington um, mm. which is near columbia he went to wofford we're in the same PT school class and he owns a cash-based PT business like down the road. Oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. So we do the same thing every day. That's what I say. Um, is, he, does he, is he trying to poach you? Oh, for sure. Yeah, obviously. No. 
we've had a, it's been a unique situation, obviously. Um, it's amazing. And I, huh? It's amazing. It's unique. Yeah. I told him today, I was like, guess who I'm podcasting. I walked into the gym. I was like, guess who I'm podcasting today. And he was like, uh, I don't really know. And I'm like, you're not going to guess it. And he was like, okay, tell me. I was like, Kelly Surratt. And he was like, oh, cool. And I was like, don't hide your excitement. Like, you know, this is cool. He was just like, oh, cool. That's, that's going to be fun. I was like, whatever. Like, this is cool for me. We all sound that dumb. It's true. It's yeah, true. obviously. Whenever we like reenact your voices, it's always like, yeah, that's what I thought. And Rachel's BF, they, uh, what's he do? He is a police officer in Walterboro. Remember Walterboro? Yeah, Walterboro. I, I, uh, I actually didn't realize it was Terboro. I thought it was just Walterboro. <laughs> so until she actually wrote it down, I was like, oh, there's a Ter, Walterboro. I didn't really even hear that part of it. Good. Then we said it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she'll be moving to Walterboro, Walterboro um, in a month, actually. So Rachel and I have lived together for four years, other than rotations, um, and we're splitting up. Aww. It's exciting. I mean, now, now we work together, so we see each other plenty. But yeah, you guys have. A, I'm telling you, it's 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 unusual and super cool. And who knew that Charleston was the de facto headquarters of the PT universe? Because it obviously is. Oh wow! Well, I mean, if you you guys have PT biz there. You've got Made to Move. You know, you, you know. Like I said, you have a little squad there. You know, you've got you've got Mesa and Active Life. I mean, really, it's uh, like Santa Cruz. I don't know if you've ever been to Santa Cruz, but you're like CrossFit's on Santa Cruz. Like, what? It's kind of weird. And then you're like, well, PT was re resurrected in Walterboro. Who knew that? <laughs> Walterboro. Well, when you think about like, so when I met, I met, I don't know if I met Danny or Eve first, but like they weren't working together yet, but they were doing similar things. Danny used to obviously follow you around like a God. And then him and Eve started working together. And so now like that's kind of why Charleston is blown up because Danny worked with you, learned so much, took it back. And now Danny, Eve, and obviously Jared, um, it's like, like you said, like think 10 years ago, five years ago, what? Like I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't even in PT school. Was I? I have no idea. Just everything has changed. And so many people have met because of social media and because of connections of just like, oh, you know this person, I know this person. Okay, well, let's meet up. Let's let's talk on Instagram. Let's do a podcast. And the community of all of these like like-minded, direct pay, cash-based, you want to call it, performance rehab, whatever, PTs, it's exploded. I mean, there's crazy. so many of them now. When a few years ago, it was like, it was like, what's that? Yeah. People, I mean, people thought I was legitimately crazy. And I was like, I don't think so. I think I'm onto something here, you know? I was like, later. I was like, did you ever see Pretty Woman? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I say when, I say who, I say how much, I say when. You're not getting this reference. I haven't you- seen it either. But I get it. I get where you're coming from, but I haven't seen it. I know. You should slap my parents because my parents did not educate me in like music or or movies. I haven't. This is a secret. I haven't seen Grease. Yeah, I know. We're having a hard time. Um, my, uh, we actually have, we systematically marched through all the canon with the girls so that they are l- culturally literate. And sometimes they're totally inappropriate movies, but I'm like, you need to understand where this comes from. Here's the reference. Here's what's going on. You know, and sometimes they're bad and sometimes they're really good. But my kids, you know, I feel like you, there's a hole in your education. 
There definitely is. And I have patients that tell me that all the time. They're like, do you know who this is? And I'm like, no, is it, it's not Justin Bieber radio. And they're like, like your parents are the worst. There's nothing wrong with Justin Bieber radio, just so we're clear. Okay. Have you heard his new album? Uh, some songs on the new album. No. Okay. You need to go what listen I, to it. I will. Um, what I'll tell you is that I'm super into French techno right now. Mm, you're going to say that publicly? It's the way it goes. Like I've always been like my own guy doing my own thing. What but um, like? I just feel like... I just feel like it's really amazing techno, electric music, but I feel like um, we just had this conversation in our office that we don't think Bieber is as handsome as he used to be. He's all grown up. He's a, he's a man. Yeah. And like when you have a baby face, it looks better when you're a baby than when you're, uh, um, maybe a bit. We say same, same, but different. Um, have you seen the Billie Eilish documentary? No. On Apple? Oh, it's so fucking good. But Beeb's in there and he's so delightful. He is such a kind, delightful old soul in there that it's, it's pretty rad. Delightful. So you do yeah. have a lot of free time. No. You jumped on a podcast with me. You're installing Tonal. You're watching Billie Eilish. Look, if we hadn't met, I'd be like, here's Margaret. We'll fit you in. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I literally was like, well, I, I see that this is how this woman works. She's just like, Hey, I'm going to need to talk to you tomorrow. And I was like, all right, well, shit. Yeah, I was like, I have some free time tomorrow. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Heck yes. I think so. This is unfortunate, but I think a lot of people in Charleston might not actually know who you are. Thank goodness. Would you like to introduce yourself and like, tell us who you are and like what you maybe do? Yeah. My name is Kelly Starrett. Um, I am a strength coach and physical therapist. And I think I've spent the better part of my life now trying to untangle what it means to be a functional, durable human. And, um, you know, I've had an experience in life as a professional athlete. I've gotten to work with a lot of people. Um, I own the 21st CrossFit gym in the world, San Francisco CrossFit for a decade and a half. And now I work with my wife, who's the CEO of our company called The Ready State. And we um, try to empower people to take care of their bodies. Boom. Great elevator pitch. Oh, there you go. And uh, more importantly, I'm obsessed. This is all I think about. There are no edges to my, like, I met you uh, last week and I know so much about you and there's no edges of our friendship our professional, how we could talk about food or nutrition or movement or PT or environmental health. And my whole life is that thing. Like there's no edges. I'm never off. I've been working for myself for a long time, but I'm never on always because this is all I do. And I am obsessed and it's the greatest life I ever had. I think that's how you have to be to do this type of profession and love it and do it well. It's like, you're always thinking about it. You're always thinking about like, what are we doing? How can we do it better? What are we going to do next? And it's an, yeah, it's an algorithm. And you're, you're absolutely right that the way you see, begin to see the world means that like, you know, I'm never done with a patient. You know, I'm always thinking about, oh, I wonder how I could have improved that or what was my interaction or how would this new information have helped that? And then how do I scale that? And uh, you know, how do I help my daughters grow up to be durable, interesting people who sleep well and, you know, make their way in the world you know, how can we prevent a lot of human suffering? And, and it turns out that there are people 
who are obsessed with as with this as I am, and we have this secret cabal of uh, of awesomeness. So that's what I do all the time in an annoying way. In an annoying way, it's almost like another language. It's like, like you said, we just met, but I already know we can talk about all these things because it's just that we have that like foundational understanding, and I think that that's why like last weekend or last week, whatever it was, having all these people in the same room is extremely powerful to have that platform and also the reassurance and kind of have your tribe of all of these people that we have this foundational knowledge. And because of, it's easy to feel like made to move the only people that are doing it right. Like Kelly Surrett's the only person that's doing it right. But no, like there's, like you said, there's people in the Midwest, like there's people in Minnesota, there's people in States I'd never even heard of before that are doing these things and preaching these things. And it, it just makes you even more motivated. That's where I came out of last week. It's like, everyone else is doing this too. So like, let's push it even harder. I felt really inspired. You know, I think it's easy for people who are, and I think this could translate to anyone if you're a physio or not listening to this. You can be working really hard in the trench, just practicing, doing your work, taking care of your, you know, my small life. And it's easy to forget that like, you're actually not alone. And um, there are people who are sharing this common human experience. And I think, you know, what's really interesting is ultimately we're talking about not the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of meaning and value. How do I have a better community? How do I feel like I have deeper interpersonal relationships? Are, are there aspects of my environmental physical behavior that I can twist or turn where I can create better community. And ultimately that is ultimately the goal. You know, it sounds so trite, but you know, the vow of the Bodhisattva is to stay on earth until other humans are enlightened. And I'm like, forget enlightenment. How about just less knee pain and you sleep better. And you know, pain. <laughs> I just, um, you know, I just had, um, my wife is traveling with my older daughter for a water polo camp. And my younger daughter and I just had dinner at my in-laws and I have a step auntie grandma. So she's the mother of my mother-in-law's husband. That's crazy. So she's wow. like my, my step Chinese grandma. She's a hundred years old. Ooh. Like, and she's not a hundred years old, can't function. She cuts her own hair and walks around and she uses a walker, but mainly cause she's going so fast. She doesn't need help to transfer. And like you engage with a, a sentient, lucid conversation with someone who's been on the planet for legitimately a hundred years. She looks like she's 80. And you know, when I'm sort of confronted with that and I'm 47 and I'm like, wow, am I, do I have the durability and am I putting the things in place? Not that so I make it to a hundred, but that so I make it to a hundred well. And I think that's really the, the going to be the question of our age is not how hot did we, the candle burn when you were 26, but what does it look like and what kind of life do you want for yourself when you're 50, 60, 70, 80? And I, I think those are really the things we're going to have to contend with because as you know, on here we are on April Fool's Day where we have put up a post about a recovery tequila, which is really shorthand for, man, there's a lot of silly shit that we're trying to sell people and dress it up as fitness and health and happiness. And, and we really are less happy and less connected than ever before. Oof. Well, I mean, I bet your, is it your step Chinese something grandmother? She's probably using MCT oil in her coffee every day. Well, she does intermittent fast. Oh my uh, God. Just kidding. Um, you, can, <laughs> you, can, you can eat some carbohydrate and, uh, and you don't always have to be in ketosis. What? You know, um, 
you know, there are what? I, I live in Northern California here in, at our local market. There are three paleo magazines and one magazine about being keto and they sell three different kinds of keto ice cream. And, uh, oh my you know, God. Mm. Keto ice cream, like in blank ice cream, protein ice cream. Like I am not eating ice cream for the protein. Can we like get over, like not everything has to have one more gram of protein than the non-protein brand. I don't, it's just marketing. Yeah, I think, I think for an average person, it's difficult to say what's essential, right? How, how do I know? And, you know, when we're trying to make track or make sense of inputs and outputs, the classic old CrossFit model was this black box. Mm -hmm. I have some fitness that I do, and then I can test my fitness in some domain that I care about. And sometimes the mechanisms are hidden from us. But sometimes it's very easy to see, hey, three pizzas and drink seven pitchers of beer. And the next day I wasn't really good on my run. Like it's easy to kind of connect those behaviors, but it is difficult to connect behaviors because there's the human being is so tolerant. And somehow we've begun to represent ourselves as fragile or to represent ourselves as not durable. And, and that somehow it's so complex, we're too, too dumb to understand it. I'm like, look, you have an iPhone. Do you know how the software works? No, you just know how to turn it on and off and move it. And that's how, that's how miraculous your body is. It's that simple. It's so complicated that the outputs are, are very simple. But some of those outputs are hidden from us in terms of battery life. You know, you don't know that your phone is going to die when you're, you know, 55 and because of the things you were doing when you were 19. It's, it's tricky for us to say what's best behavior or best practice, giving so much tolerance in the human. Well, it, again, it's tricky to know what exactly, if, if there was one thing, we can't know what it was. And it's never just one thing. And no, it's never just one thing. Do you try to understand the software on your phone or do you just use it? Yeah. So, you know, no. um, we're engaged in some long-term research around sedentariness and behavior in elementary school kids. Um, we have a, a nonprofit called Stand Up Kids, which transitions kids from sedentary desks to dynamic workstations where they can move and fidget and sit on the ground and they, the desk has fit them. And our daughters went to, we transformed our daughter's school six years ago to the first all standing moving school in the world. So we had 450 kids who never sat at a desk from <laughs> kindergarten, yep, kindergarten to sixth grade. And um, no one died. Kids love it. The, the furniture fits them. They have, uh, it's, and you don't have to say sit up, right? You don't have to tell them pay attention. The only negative feedback we had in this whole thing was that our teachers were getting through their, through their curriculum about a month earlier or two months earlier. So they had to actually do more learning and more generation of lesson plans because they were so efficient. And uh, so we're now we've partnered with Cal Berkeley and UCSF to do some long-term sort of research around in, in, on these applications towards data and tracking. But one of the things that happened, we did a bunch of, um, we captured a bunch of uh, inventory data about personal sort of mental well health and wellness. And 75% of the kids identified as depressed, you know, self-identified. And what you have to look at then is, okay, what are these underlying principles in this last year that changed? Because this is really the ultimate scientific method is we're, we're making small experiments with ourselves every day, you know, at a week at a time, you know, you go on a cleanse and you feel better, or you don't feel better, or you lose weight or sustainable. You, you know, I mean, I think, I think we all sort of are trying to figure out whether conscious of it or not, you know, what's working, what's not working. But when we suddenly strip out community, when people don't feel connected to their community, these kids don't have socialization and they 
we saw the, a generation of kids do the least amount of moving in a year that's ever happened, then we can start to say, well, hey, I don't know if this is correlation or causation, but it is interesting that these kids didn't move and didn't see each other and they all got depressed. So, you know, I think that's where we need to be thinking in terms of the forces on the modern human are so immense and we're pulling ourselves back and forth. And it may be the LED lights at night, it may be, but it may be a hundred other things that are different than that the way we evolved over the last 10,000 years. And I think, I'm not trying to romanticize our paleolithic selves where you got a tooth abscess and died. I think that's not a great way to live, right? Or you're worried about food shortage and disease. And, and, um, but I do think that we, if we don't look at the, the organism environment, we, we went to sleep when it was dark, we sped around on the floor, we really like it, tight interpersonal community tribal relationships are very important. We are going to have to figure out how to replicate these fundamental you know, primary principles, first principles in our daily lives as modern people. Otherwise, we're going to be demi-humans. That's the thing is like these things are fundamental. They're basic. They're foundational. But we've gotten so away from them or we've tried to make them fancy or, or add something else. And like we talked so much last week about like what are the fundamental things that you should be having going for you, that you should be doing consistently? Like, what are your non-negotiables? The low-hanging fruit. Like, does this kid, is he depressed because he hasn't been moving and he hasn't been talking to someone for a whole year? Or is he depressed because of one small, like one tiny little thing? Like, look at the, the logic. Honestly, I feel like it's logical. I feel like we've just gotten so far yeah. away from it. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, it, we want to believe, I think, in our hearts of hearts that we really are unique snowflakes, you know, um, that we're all such special, unique individuals. And when you get into the evolutionary psychology and evolutionary biology, humans have sort of universal innate needs and universal drives. And whether it's Maslow talking about those things, um, we're talking about the basic physiology, like you have to move a little bit more. If you know, Julius Wolf describes Wolf's law of basically use it or lose it, you know, in the late 1700s, I think 1700s or late 1800s. And, you know, he was a physician, I think a German physician who was describing bone formation that you had to load bones um, in order for the bone to adapt. Well, now we're like, oh, when you actually flex a bone, it creates an electric charge that's called a piezoelectric charge. And it's that electric charge that brings in osteoblasts that build bones. So if you don't flex the bone and challenge it, the bone doesn't get stronger. Do you remember? You probably don't remember, but in the nineties there was this thing where everyone osteoporosis was like a national plague. We obviously had won the war on drugs and we were, <laughs> we, we were like, we'd had enough Nirvana and everyone was osteoporotic or had osteopenia. And, these calcium chews were everywhere. Like there were calcium caramel chews that we just like every woman I know over 25 was chewing down chocolate with calcium. Like it was their job. And it turned out it didn't change anyone's osteoporosis. Yeah. no shit. And, and because they didn't load, like they were like, Oh, apparently walking is not enough. So just walking and eating calcium wasn't enough to challenge your bones. And I think that's where we, it's easy to lose this force for the trees this sort of what we call misplaced precision where we're like, Hey, you know, 
the reason that the Chinese say you're as old as your spine means that like maintaining your ability to take a breath and move your spine effortlessly is a really nice predictor of age. Or the Russians say you're as old as your feet. Or when you stop jumping, you start dying. And there are all these old maxims that are there that really do inform us about what best practice is. And it turns out loading your bones and loading your tissues is a, a requirement for daily health. So one or zero, what was the confusion about that? Is Peloton and water aerobics getting us there? Is it, you know, the comfort, you know, we're on the generation of WALL-E, you know, I think we're going to have to decide what kind of life we want to have and then also reinvest in people to show them that this is ultimately their choice. It's a choice, but most people don't realize they have a choice. Everything is a choice. And I struggle with, you know, I'm, I'm glad, obviously Peloton has helped so many people in last year. Mirror, water aerobics is better than nothing, right? But like, I go, I go back to like, are we surviving or are we thriving? Yeah. Yes, I'd rather my relative take walks every day than do nothing, but why is nothing such an acceptable common alternative? And we know we have all this research about loading. That's the only really concrete thing that we know, but we, we keep trying to find ways around it or like qualify it. And the study you described with all oh, the kids who stop moving and stop socializing, like think about corporate America, like that, this is most of our country. This is most of the world. And it's, it gets like these conversations get so dark because it's so, it's so foundational in our society. Like we, we are seeing these problems as like the tip of the iceberg. But like you said, we want people to have like jobs that they love. We want people to feel fulfilled. We want all of these things that essentially have to do with quality of life, but our society structure you have to almost break it. You have to go against the grain. You have to do cash-based PT to even get close to quality of life. It's like you have to choose the harder route to live a better life. And most people just accept, well, this is how life is. And they don't understand that we have the worst health outcomes for a reason. It's not because we're not chewing our calcium. It's not be because we need to do more water aerobics. It's because nobody sleeps, nobody takes care of themselves, nobody talks about shit, nobody strength trains. People are intermittent fasting or they're vegan or they're plant-based because we're just trying to, everyone's trying to add chains to their bench press when they don't even know how to bench press. And it makes me so mm. frustrated when we have all of these, like, like nature has been like, here are all of these things that you're supposed to do and you'll be happy and healthy and live a fairly good life given that yes, we are supposed to struggle and challenges make us grow and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, mm, no, but what about MCT oil? Like what about, what about calcium chews? What if I just, what if I just do this, eat this turmeric and like we are not this. smarter than human biology. If we don't even know how our software works, yeah. why are we trying to question it? So, you know, the question becomes then, you know, where do we deliver this information? So, you know, a few years ago, I started to feel like, well, maybe that we've lost a generation of people. And, and of course, no one is lost. No one is worth ever giving up on. All the caveats here are, are your body can heal and change at any time. I know adults in their 40s who've lost 100 pounds. Like, that's, that's a miracle. Um, we can change. Like, you know, Carl Rogers was right. Like, you can wake up today and, you know, you can reinvent yourself every single day. You have that opportunity. And, and simultaneously, 
one of the things that we've learned with this research at Cal is we did some very simple um, questionnaires about what we thought were really obvious things around fundamental biologic behaviors around sleep and hydration and nutrition and movement. And kids had no exposure to it. So some of this, I want to put on the, the idea that, hey, we need to expand our boundaries. And I'll use this as an example of, of the kind of thinking I like. Well, you know, they discovered some water on Mars and maybe it had some protobacteria in there. Someone asked one of the cardinals, like, well, what do you think about God now? And he's like, well, God's obviously a little bigger than we thought, huh? And just like whoop, slapped him on the face. Like, yeah, like we can expand our definitions of what the size of the universe is and, and the complexity of this. And simultaneously, we can reimagine the fact that if we have adults who've never been exposed to how to eat or how to sleep or how to do self-care, then it's not necessarily their fault. And especially when you drop into the data stream, it gets swept away by MCT oil toothpaste and all of the bullshit, you know, shred, B90X. You know, what we want to do is A, ask, where is the intervention with the child? This is why we felt like, hey, maybe the place to begin with this is an elementary school. That's, that's where we, like, we're like, maybe high school is still too difficult to make behavior change, but elementary school is not too difficult to make behavior change. And we can actually constrain the environment and teach kids foundations. And then it's just noise that they've known. I keep waiting for patients to come to the clinic or athletes I work with who are like, I know all this. Like, what do you, you know, like, I know this already. Like, of course I eat this way and I move this way. I'm good. Like, you know, you have nothing new to ask. And i like, when that happens, I'll like be like, I'm out. I did it. You know? I don't need a job. And, you know, so simultaneously we need to ask that question, where are we delivering this? And I think what we need to be thinking about is slightly different. The scale is big government responsible is our state level discover. This is a communitarianism thing. And Look, if you, Yuval Harari, I'm not, without being political or, or talk about faith, Yuval Harari is like one of my absolute heroes. He's a, he's a researcher, scientist, historian from the University of Tel Aviv who wrote a book called Sapiens. And one of the things he looks at is this like historic human behavior. Like, why do we have common myths? Why, why does religion exist around society? And, you know, what you end up really understanding from a sort of a meta scientist awareness, forget your faith practice. I'm really, this is agnostic about that conversation is, you know, we have lost our sense of belonging to each other locally in our, our communities. And that's the first foundation. The, the elementary school is the, is the organizing principle. The, the, your neighborhood is the fundamental building block of society. And when we, you know, we have a lot of people come and train and exercise at our house and the kids can come use our weight room at their house. Their parents have signed a waiver and we have a little outdoor gym. And we feel like that's how we transform society by knowing your neighbors. And like I had a barbecue with our neighbors last night in our backyard, social distance. And that's how we're going to turn this thing over. Otherwise the scale gets away from us so far. And I think when we go into things like Peloton, you know, Jess King, is amazing. She is one of the most amazing teachers on Peloton ever. And, and I'm like, wow, why is it that people need Jess King in their lives every day for motivation and inspiration? It's because they're not finding it in their own communities, their own families day to day, right? There, there is no sense of tribe. And I think we've been really dissociated and separated from those things. And it leaves us really untethered. I think that's an amazing point. And I think it, 
it is so easy to look at like the macro scale of how all of these things have ended up with this result. But like you said, like this, you said pretty much save the children. We have to start with the kids, <laughs> but like it's the kids, save the kids. Save the kids. You know, and one of the things is that I, I think with this communitarianism model is I actually believe that if I came to Charleston and worked with Made to Move, I'm sure I could learn your community, but at first I wouldn't understand your community. I wouldn't understand the context. I wouldn't understand the social history. I wouldn't understand some of the interpersonal relationships. And of course, first principles, first principles, but it would take me a second to actually meet the needs of the community and minister and train and coach in that way. And of course, universally things are the same and people are not that different. But what I think is important and something we try to do in our business is I actually trust that you know your community better than anyone else. And one of the reasons I've put trainers at such, the, such a sort of high, high aspect of our, of our system is I'm like, you know your athletes and your community and your clients and your classes better than I would ever know them. You know their needs and their problems and how they eat and how they sleep and what they do. And so my job is to empower you to be able to meet those needs. You know, my father, my grandfather was a physician and he was like, a, you know, when he got out of the Air Force after Vietnam, he became like a little country doc and he drove around delivering babies at people's houses. And, and that is the medicine that we were supposed to happen. Not this highly polished, don't get me wrong, I get into a car accident, I'm super stoked about the Kaiser ER system, but that is really far removed from the daily behaviors. And I think it's easy to conflate pathology and disease and elite medicine at Stanford with how does this physician, how does this healthcare practitioner, this community organizer work inside their community if they don't understand a community and there's no community to work with? So knowing that like every PT, we have our own little community, right? We have such an opportunity what do we, what do PTs need to be doing to make this change? What do we need to be doing differently? One of the things that I think we have a real opportunity for is we are still playing, we're too good at playing defense and reaction defense. And I wait until the wheels have fallen off or I wait until some physician has, has bequeathed her patient upon me and I'm finally worthy to have, take a crack at proving that because they don't have a set of tools. I want people to appreciate that when we look at a person at the center of our spoke, the physical therapist and the physician and the trainer and the family are all equidistant from the person. And at different times, we take different leads, right? So right now your physio is the lead because you've got a musculoskeletal problem you're trying to untangle. And then your, your personal trainer takes the lead and everyone else should be in the role of serving the trainer at that point or in the role of, of serving. So one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we as physios are actually in support of the greater community and actually working. Like how many young physios do you talk to? Or I'm like, what do you want to do? They're like sports men. I don't know. Work in sports. Sure. I'm like, well, great. Where do you work in sports right now? Where do you volunteer? What clubs are you part of? And they're like, none. And I'm like, Where so rehab. what do you mean? Uh, I mean, I just, you're just going to wait around for all the sprained ankles to come to you. And then like you're doing sports. I'm like, no. So, yeah. you know, there's a, real opportunity physio to go out and become actually integrated into our communities. And CrossFit is a good example of where that's happened as a, ref I'll put it as a referral base, but it's not a referral base. It's I'm a member of this community in an authentic way. And I've talked to enough physical therapists who are like, you know, I went and went to that CrossFit. I was like, well, do you do CrossFit? 
I was like, well, they don't trust you. I'm like, you're not a cyclist or a runner. Like, what did you expect was going to happen when you showed up and you're like, Hey, I'm here for the cyclists and the runners. And you may get to a place in your career where you're so talented that the cyclists and runners will find you. But in the meantime, part of what we're trying to do is a move closer to the source. So it'd be really great if you were in part of a running club and you actually talked about health for free on the weekends and you did a little, a half hour, Hey, I'm just doing a little half hour and let's take care of your calves and feet thing afterwards because you're serving your community. And when we start, I think focusing on being better active members of our society, and our community, PT as a thing will become more germane. If we, wait around for people to stumble or break the internet. I mean, some research that I think, I don't know, maybe it was just ice just put up or someone put up was that people are actually really competent at using the internet to self-diagnose their problems. I don't know if the research, cause everyone's like, Oh, the internet just confuses everyone. And it turns out that's actually not true. People are clever enough to do differential diagnosis and match their symptoms and say, Hey, that smells like me or feels like me. And you know, as, like I said, whenever I get a headache, I obviously have meningitis like straight up. Oh, for sure. I, I just go right to meningitis. <laughs> um, you know, like I'm a little out of breath. I'm like, it's that patent ovale I had in my heart as a child. I just, I know too much about my own physiology, but if people are clever enough to be able to do that, then, you know, we need to be thinking about where they're going to get it. Otherwise we have just excluded ourselves. We're in the ivory tower and we're like, well, no one comes to the ivory tower, you know, cause you're irrelevant. It is rare. It does happen, but it's rare that someone walks into made to move as like a walk-in appointment. Like I walk into the nail salon as walk-in every time. But people don't get hurt, experience pain, want to work on their performance. And they're like, I'm going to go walk around. And they're like, oh, health and human performance. I'm going to go there. That's for me. But let me ask you this. Let me, let me dig a little deeper there. Do you just go to a random nail salon every single time? No. I go based off what other people have told me. Or and, what I've but, but, right, but it's also a place you've been before, right? Like we have a place that we go get maids and petties as a family. And yes, we may be walk-ins, but that's our place. And it's been our place for almost 10 years. Oh yeah. No, the, I'm walking in. I'm not making an appointment, but it's not because I'm walking in somewhere random. You have a relationship and know what to expect. And part of that, we'll call it grooming. I think for lack of a better word, if we talk about the nail salon, uh, you've groomed to understand that like, these are my people and that there's a crew here that doesn't matter whom I'm seeing in the nail salon. I know I'm going to get good care and I feel like I'm part of this community and they see me and know my face and name. And so now apply that rigor of your experience in the nail salon to your nail salon, to someone coming into PT for the first time. I just chose someone who was near me, my doctor I don't see very often, don't have a relationship with. I go see physical therapists for 30 minutes in a place I've never been to, in an office I hate that is non-sterile and has hung ceiling and carpet floors, doesn't look like a place where I would get health. Like I'm, I have this experience that has nothing to do with who I am or how I exercise. This person doesn't have any context to my community or what I do. And in 30 minutes, I'm supposed to download all that and still have some interaction. And again, when you start to think in those terms, you're like, hmm, maybe that's not the best healthcare model to deliver what it is we know is really superior. I'm going to need more time and hopefully a little bit more context in a relationship because 
patients that I still see, I've been treating for 15 years. I don't hear them from a year. Then I get a text, like something's popped up and I can't take a crack. I've taken a crack and I've done these and this and this and I need your, and I oftentimes can solve that problem in a text very quickly and they still never see me and it's never billed and it's never charged. But because I have so much history and context and safety and understanding, we can get to the heart of the matter very quickly. And that's, that's the initial relationship we need to have everyone develop with the a community, with a faith leader. Uh, you don't just randomly pick a church and be like, this is weird. I'm going in. Like that's not how any of our relationships work in society. So why are we thinking that healthcare should work in the same way when we clearly have demonstrated for a generation now that does not work that way? The relationships part is huge. Like the, the closer that you feel with someone, the more that you know someone, like you said, 15 years, they'll text you and you can help them out. It's not because you're some internet guru and you know the answers to everything. It's because- Oh, you can have more than one hat. No, I mean, but that, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have friends who don't know what I do for a living who asked me about their kid's ankle pain. And I'm like, why don't you come over to the house? And you know, my, my PT coaching degree still works when someone comes over in the house in the evening and make a house call. I still make house calls. You know? and, and when we, I think, reimagine what's possible, suddenly you know, we appreciate that, wow, you know, the physicians I work with don't really have a great life either and like the way their, their life is turning out. And when I asked the same thing, like, I'm like, who is really stoked on the way we're thinking about managing this? And it's rare that we begin to see practices emerge. They are starting to happen, but we have to rethink the whole model now. And it's okay for something that worked for a while. Sometimes it doesn't work. And that's okay. That's a feature. But what we have to do is say, okay, then what's next? How do we reimagine this? And we have to have the courage in the collaboration. It's a conversation. Expert clinicianship is a compromise between what the patient thinks best for her and what the physical, physical therapist thinks is best for her. So that compromise is not, a, you don't do what I say. I say, well, mm-hmm. here's what I think the issue is. How are we going to solve this together? And how much of this can you own? And that is the really a different way of seeing the world. And some of that is the arrogance of me raising my hand and being like, that's crap. I don't like the way that feels. And this way feels better to me. And if it's not for everyone, that's okay. But I'm pretty sure that when we put this relationship first and we re- have the courage to reimagine who is responsible for what and how we deliver that, boy, that's long-term success. I think the part you, you said about like talking to, to physicians, talking to other people and like, hey, is, how's your life going? How do, how do you like your job? Are you stoked about healthcare? I think that's a great idea. I'm about to call up every doctor I know and have a panel because I think we we assume that anyone that's not us or not doing exactly what we're doing is against us and they think what they're doing is right and they love their 80 hour weeks and their documentation and their seven minutes with patients and we're like, well, we're gonna do it differently. But a lot of like no one likes that. Nobody likes that. But so we could work together for this. We all want to take healthcare in a different direction. Well, I think we have two choices. We either implode as a system or continue to implode as a yeah, system. Yeah, I'm like, haven't we already? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, healthcare is, is a divisive topic. And I'm like, how is it that the health of our community is a divisive topic? You know, um, managed healthcare was actually invented here in the Bay Area. So the Kaiser shipyards in World War II, um, those were built 
and Henry J. Kaiser started the Kaiser Family Foundation to take care of his workers and their families because he saw that it was more effective and more cost effective and he had better outputs. So one of the things that I think we can do is say, well, as I said, said before, what does success look like to you? So when I sit down at scale, because these are some of the conversations I, I'm fortunate enough to have, and I'm sitting down with senior army medical staff, I'm talking about all the colonels who give all of the, you know, the medical care for the army, or uh, I was at the CIA sitting down with all the CIA. You're not allowed to say that. You can say that. Um, and I can't talk about all the other uh, secret spy pens I got. And, oh. um, but what I'll say is one of the things that had made a big difference in the Navy and paramilitary is when they actually started assigning a dollar amount to what a injured soldier's loss use. So it's cost us $2.5 million in training for the soldier. And if she goes out with low back pain, I have a $2.5 million machine asset that I can't deploy. You know, Danny uh, Matei, uh, a PT, mutual PT friend, was an Army PT. And when he had a conversation with his leadership staff, and he was like, oh, yeah, you have 30% more deployable people for this next deployment, 30% more. So if there's 100 in the group, there's 30 more people can deploy because they're not on disability. They were like, what? What is it you're doing again? So sometimes we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And the wrong reason in this situation is let's save some money. Let's, let's unburden the system. Let's have less money in healthcare. Let's have less lost user days. You know, there's a group we worked with. I work with Veridesk uh, and uh, Dr. Mark Benden is one of their friends. And Dr. Mark Benden does a lot of sedentary research out of Texas A&M. And he went in and did a, a research study and they'd switched a call center into standing moving stations. So like I'm leaning and perching on a stool. So I'm standing, but I'm also sitting. And one of the interesting things there is it's really difficult to track adult productivity, for example. It's just hard, hard to track productivity. Are you being productive? Right now, are you being productive? Does this work? Is I, am I just chatting up a friend? And, but at a call center, it's really easy because if you make a call, it's a one, a sale. If you make a call and don't make a sale, it's a zero. So it's really easy to track productivity. And when they switched people to standing stations, they saw a 50% increase in their sale rate. So by changing people to a standing work environment, People were more engaged on the phone. They were more awake and more alert and had better. And it meant $100 million to that company in six months. And all they did was give people the chance to stand and perch at a station instead of sitting down. And they thought it was such a competitive advantage. They didn't want them to publish the study because they were so afraid that their competitors would also get standing stations. So how did this group start to come to think about, hey, I have a healthier workforce, it's more engaged, and the culture has changed because they're doing fundamental human things like standing and moving more. And so again, let's go ahead and count this in the things that are important to you, test scores, attention, obesity, diabetes, like what do you want to measure? Then let's see if we can improve the human physiology and then let's remeasure that. And I think in that realm, we have real potential to, to shift the shift shift transform society through physical therapy, through one extra rotation therapy and exercise at a time. Heck yes. But why, why do we need a, an unburdened society? Like why do we need this to equate to a dollar amount? 
why did that company not want other companies to know? Because what was their end goal? Like their version of success was money and sales and productivity. It wasn't, do these people love their lives? Are they healthier? Like, why can't we, why can't that be enough? All, all this research, I did a lot of research in college about like kids, elementary schools, are they active, sedentary? And it all brought, like got down to obesity costs us a lot of money. Like who gives a shit how much our government is paying for obesity? Like, what about the kids that are miserable? What about their, their suffering? Like, what about their poor health outcomes? Wow. What about if they yeah. were healthier, how so, everyone else would be? Who owns that problem? Right now, no one owns that problem. So if you're a physician responsible for, and your compensation was attached to the health of your community, then you would think very differently about the problem. Right now, I think one of the legitimate concerns or valid critiques I have of physical therapy is who owns failed physical therapy? Right now, no one owns it. People just disappear or they run out of visits or they didn't progress. And we don't really track that. You know, we don't really track what worked and didn't work and how, how, you know, how successful we were. And so the question that you, you pose is really a valid one, but who owns those problems? Right now as a society, we, no one has owned those problems. And you know, what gets measured gets managed. You know, that's a classic maxim in business. And the same thing is true around who, whose livelihood and, and, you know, compensation and happiness is attached to the success of humans. And right now, no one owns this problem. We just pass it on. And it's something actually I started to become aware of. So, you know, I work in the NFL a fair amount. And what I would hear from those coaches, elite strength condition coaches, like, you know what the problem is? All these kids come in so messed up from college it's bananas. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I go and well, it turns out I work in a lot of colleges too. And they're like, you know what the problem is? The problem is these kids in high school suck, you know, 22 out of our 24 high school, all Americans had knee pain doing an air squat. I'm like, Oh, it's like I go into high school and I'm like, Oh, okay. So how's it going? And pretty soon what you realize is no one owns the problem. What is the problem? What is the problem? Right. We haven't even defined the problem. So how do we, you know, begin to think about what is it a human is supposed to do? How do we do that? How do we measure and track success and then value that as a community? When, you know, when I went to high school, the chances of me being diabetic was one in 4,000. You and your current self is one in four. Oof. So our, your, your generation beyond behind you is one in four chance. And if you're a black woman, it's two out of three. If you're a Hispanic man, it's two out of three. And that's independent of how much money your family makes, the color of your skin, one in four, right? Except for those demographics, it's one in four. And so what we have to see is something that you bring up the point of is, you know, we have a neighbor next to us who just didn't exercise. She is a brainiac. She's a writer for TV shows. She is so smart, but she didn't exercise. And she became, uh, you know, a diabetic later in life. And she's like, hey, I have to tell you, I want people to know that being a diabetic sucks. Like it really sucks. And it's not just giving myself insulin, my feet, like how I feel, what goes on. She's like, I just don't feel like my old self. And I, you know, and, and as we've gotten her walking, I got her some walking sticks so she can start walking and walking a little bit more and she can walk up the hills. And, you know, I, I think what, because the human is so durable and it's so difficult for us. Look, if I, if I looked at how you ate when you were 16, and projected that out, you would be so horrified as an adult to like, you know, I had terrible back knee in high school 
And I think it was acne. somehow related back it's acne of your back, you know? Oh, God. And I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the four bagels I ate at lunch and the thousand calorie snicker I was doing to try to gain weight and just the amount of food and crap I was eating on a regular basis. My daughter, Georgia, who's down in Southern California playing water polo right now, has never gone to Taco Bell. Poor kid. I, well, <laughs> it's not really great food. And um, we're not anti-fast food. But talk about it's pretty low on the list of, of good got things. Better. Have they? And um, so, but they've been driving past all these Taco Bells, and I just was on the phone with her, and they're going to go to talk about the end of this camp. And I was like, make sure you get the Chalupa burrito, make sure you get the tacos, Dorito Gordita. I'm like, you got to get a Bane burrito and just have a bite. I'm like, you got to try all these things. And I was like, when I was when I was a junior, your age, I they didn't have a Taco Bell in my town, so we drove to the next town with all my friends, and I ate fourteen things. I had ten pack of tacos and four burritos. Five Think about, well, I don't know if there's that much, and uh, and you know, I, I think I think, you know, we have our biology working against us. We're designed to conserve energy. We're designed to, you know, it really is difficult for us to come up and be heroic. And right now, I think we're really battling those things. And we have to say who owns this. And the place to own it is in your own family, your own community. That's the first place. That's the only place where you can actually have some agency. So let's start there. I'm still stuck that she's never been to a Taco Bell. I had that probably once a week. Well, look at you. Look at me now, you know. Look, I mean, <laughs> you know, my, uh, my wife, I went to Boulder. My wife went to Cal. She went to a fancy law school. And I always point out, I'm like, you know, we make the same amount of money. And uh, I didn't have to do all that hard work that you did. So, um, you know, I, look, talk, you know, I, I think it says it all that um, the people at Krispy Kreme said that if you get vaccinated, you can get a free donut, you know, and the, all the fitness professionals lost their minds. This is why we're diabetic. And I was like, no. one donut does not a diabetic overweight person make, you know, in fact, I'm like, it's brilliant marketing and it's a really great thing to do to try to change cultural behavior. Hey, do this behavior will reward you, right? One-to-one, -one. get a vaccine, protect your community, come get a free donut. But we can't confuse that with the way we're eating, the way we're sleeping, these foundational practices, and the fact that I think we're just so disconnected. And, and CrossFit taught us anything that people need an excuse to belong to each other. They need a catalyst. So for 15 years at our gym, we walk in and we start every class with a handshake. Even if those people have been trained together for a decade, we still shake hands and we say hello to each other. And I think in church, that's called passing the peace. And in other communities, of, you know, they acknowledge each other. In the WWE, you walk into a locker room and with all the wrestlers, you thank them. You look them in the hand. If you're the young person, your job as the junior person is to walk around and thank everyone in the room for giving you a job and, and surrendering their career so that you can go. So we have to have some structural interventions so that we don't have to make another conscious decision. And that's when we begin to think about constraining our environments and constraining our communities to have better outcomes, we'll see better outcomes. I haven't spent a lot of time in a WWE locker room. And I don't give a lot of handshakes recently. Do you feel like that's why you had to close your gym? Uh, I, I, yeah, maybe it's, we were like a super spreader family huggy okay. thing. You know, look, the roaring twenties are coming. If you think that handshakes and hugs are going away, you're 100% wrong. Oh my God, they and, better not be. And what you're going to see is uh, people are going to be licking doorknobs and, and sharing yogurt spoons and doing as many gross things as you can think of. Oh, I know that's. That's, that's so I gross. I handshake. And I hate, 
I think it's so ironic. I'm wearing a mask, patient wears a mask. They walk in, I'm like, hey, my name is Hannah, can't touch your hand. And then we talk probably for extremely long. And then I go and I touch them. I touch their knees, I touch, I touch their hips. Sometimes I pull their pants down, I touch their butts, I touch their backs. And I'm like, but I couldn't give you a handshake? Yep. It's just, that's ironic. You talked about earlier, you're trying to figure out how to build or, or what is a functional and durable human. What have you found so far? What do those things mean? You can't charge anyone for any of the information because it's so self, uh, self, it's so simple and straightforward that it's not sexy that it can't possibly work. So as we, you know, if we, if we take chronic pain or persistent pain as a good example, I'm at a place now where we have the technology available to us. I'm like, Hey, look, we're going to try to untangle this together, but I need you to start tracking your sleep because I don't believe you. So I just start with the assumption that you're not doing it, which is interesting because it's something I actually stole from Kaiser from an ente. If you go in with high blood pressure, they start you on a statin, even though the statin has nothing to do with your high blood pressure, but they know that if you have high blood pressure, you're also going to have high cholesterol. So it's just safer in the long haul to treat you for both now. And that's because behavior change is, is so significant. So when people have persistent pain or chronic pain, one of the things I've taken from them is like saying, Hey, I don't believe that you're actually sleeping or walking enough. So the first two things we're going to control, and it may be just belief effects, loci of control, shifting agency back. Here's two things you can control that will help you. But what we know is, man, if you don't decongest and you don't sleep, you suck. Mm -hmm. So why would any other aspect of your human physiology change around that, right? So if it works for us on high performance, uh, and we know it does, then it turns out maybe your, your human physiology is that, not that unique. We know that kids who are in um, finals tend to get hurt more because they sleep less and stress is more. I always got we, sick after finals. So why would we see compromised immune system or increased sensitivity or increased threat perception as not part of a chronically stressed individual? So once again, the real question is, is your physical therapist the right person to be talking about your sleep hygiene with? Yeah. Or is that right? Seems like it, but where does that fall in the things in your problem list that you just made? And, and in your soap note, how did you follow that up? Because I guarantee you, you're not tracking it. You're saying, do you sleep? Great. Let's move on to the next thing. Can I touch your knee now? And, uh, you know, or you don't touch your knee. I'm going to give you a talk about pain and your pain beliefs. And, and, and so, you know, I, what I think is, how are we going to deliver this information around the care and feeding of the human? You know, cause I appreciate that if you ever have a child, you're never going to sleep again for a few years, right? If you, if you have a crazy job, you're never going to sleep. So where do we give people this agency and control to control what they can control? And why is it that you, this is the first time you've heard it from me. So when we're bidding, you know, why is whole food such a performance revolution in all my endurance athletics right now? Turns out eating whole foods is far superior to eating any gel or goo. Well, no shit, right? Because of all the micronutrients and all the cofactors. And an apple is not an apple. An apple has like 75 interesting chemical properties and cofactors that unlock a ton of nutrition. So instead of decentralizing, deconstructing the apple to its pill form, why don't you eat an apple? You know, and, and I think when we force, we start to get people into more micronutrients, more fruits and vegetables, when we get them into food quality, you know, for example, one of the things we've learned from one of our friends, E.C. Sinkowski, 
is that to change behavior around food, we don't take things away anymore. Now I'm like, don't worry about any change. You just have to eat 175 grams of protein today. Or for you as a woman, I'm like, 125 is going to be your base, right? Because, you know, and so I'm like, let me know how that goes for her. And they're like, I'm so full all the time. I was like, oh, are you too full to eat donuts and little, and little Debbie snack cakes? Is that weird? And I'm like, okay, now eat 800 grams of vegetables and fruits today. I don't care what they come from. And people were like, that's 1.47 pounds of apples. And I'm like, I know, it's such a bitch. It's really not and, that many apples. An apple, Honeycrisp are pretty big. That's uh, kind of crowded out, though. You got to all the I am, I am concerned that you went right for the Honeycrisp instead of the Fuji, but it's mm -hmm. fine. Because I have funny. a honey crisp right there because they're big. Uh, if I want an apple, I'm like, I'm hungry. Big as my head. Um, the Ar I'll just go on record saying that Arkansas black apple is the greatest apple nor to plan. It sounds so like just a drug. It sounds like black heroin. Uh, Arkansas black apple heroin is the best. You heard it here. But what you're seeing there is when we do additive behaviors, it's a lot easier for people to add things in. Hey, we're going to get you to – I just want you to spend an extra half hour a bed – in night in bed every night, just get into bed. You normally get into bed at 10. I want you to get in bed at 9.30. Well, guess what happens when you get into bed earlier? You go to sleep earlier, right? And you're more likely to fall asleep earlier because you were in bed earlier. So that's an easy way to behave. And so when we think about constraining behavior, giving people choices, I don't care if you want to eat 800 grams of rutabaga because that's your jam, knock yourself right out. But I guarantee you there'll be less room for bagels and pasta and everything else. So it's a lot easier for us to have these conversations of change when we don't deprive people or, or make this an, an act of will because will power is a finite resource. So let's go ahead and start to change our health messaging in net positive ways where it's really easy to do the right thing. Instead of saying, don't do this, take this out. Because if it was that easy, like these people know, they're like, yeah, I eat this, I eat that. And you're like, just don't do it. Like they're like, no shit. Like they would have had that figured out. You said before, like, are we the people to talk about sleep? Well, is anyone ask anyone else asking them about no. sleep? No. And that's, that's right. why we have such a cool job is that I almost, I get to be primary care and they come in, they're like, my knee hurts. And I'm like, we're going to talk about sleep. And they're like, why <laughs> does this relate? And I'm like, by the end of this, you will understand. Or I need you to understand why this relates. Do you have do you have pushback? Are people like, yo, I sleep fine. I eat fine. Like, why are we talking about this? Well, you know, initially I think people haven't ever, you know, two things. Usually when people find me, it's because they're losing and they don't want to lose anymore because of some of the athletes I work with. Oh, that's good. Right? Right like here, here's a good example. Um, and I can talk about this cause I have his clearance, but uh, George St. Pierre is a pretty good fighter and a has become a pretty good friend of mine. And he tore his ACL, had a non-contact ACL tear. And I immediately got a call from his team. They were like, George needs to come see you, tore his ACL. And then he got it fixed. And then they were like, sorry, George is managing. And I was like, cool, I'm always here. And then he tore his other ACL. And then I got a call like, okay, George is serious about never having this happen again. So he's going to so call. now he's serious. Yes, now he's serious. So, you know, this, this idea that, um, you know, where are we going to talk about it? You know, we have to be able to initiate this conversation over time and dose it out when people will hear it when they're ready to hear it. So, you know, when you come into your, you know, made to move for the first time, there's a whole lot of health behaviors and fundamentals that you're going to be responsible for, but you don't have to get them perfect today. So when kids learn to walk, they fall, what, like 10,000 times, cruise time, 20,000 times, a lot of cruising. That's right. So, um, you know, what's interesting is we, 
I think we forget how tolerant the human being is. We don't have to have it nailed. We just need to improve it today. And when, when people are losing, they'll find me. Or when they're in pain and can't do something, we have a change in their consciousness. The most difficult time to make change is when someone perceives something as fine. It's going fine. Like, I'm killing it. I'm fine. It's totally fine. I'm like, dude, you haven't slept in three days and you look like shit, but I'm fine. It's fine. It's fine. So it's a lot easier for us to capture people's attention when their consciousness is open and they're in transition out of injury, they're losing, their careers are at stake. Then versus the other thing is, well, this is always about performance. This is about, about getting more out of us. And one, I think, you know, these, these things that we've been talking about have been given in the context of let's do this so we don't get sick but we should flip this around just like the standing desk study. People actually think they're living full, meaningful, rad lives and they actually can feel better and get more work done and play harder and drink harder and eat more chocolate cake and still feel good if you take care of the basics. So what I'm telling you is you're living your life at 50% of your capacity and you're actually capable of a lot more if you take care of these basic things. Once again, we can point positive around these behaviors because they are the same things. They're the secret sauce. It's the same conversations I have with my world champion bikers, right? Not just people at, who are knee pain. They look at performance and they're like, I don't need to perform. I'm fine. I'm fine. What is performance? I'm not an athlete, blah, blah, blah. But that's it. They're fine. They're, survi they're surviving and they think they're, they're fine. And we're not saying, oh, if you do this, you're going to be an elite marathon runner. We're saying if you do this, you could thrive within your own body. You can thrive. Do you not want to feel like you're thriving? Do you not want to work harder? Well, you know what? Uh, you don't, you know, what we say is this is our program and this is part of our program. And you, you know, you won't understand necessarily how it all fits together. So, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to do these things and we're going to track it. <laughs> and, you know, um, Nick Gill is one of my homies and he's the strength and conditioning coach for the All Blacks. And he wrote a really great book called Health Yourself. And, um, mm -hmm because he was go health yourself because he was he lives in new zealand and has a lot of traditional maori families in contact with maori traditional new zealand peoples through rugby and um one of the things that he is a huge proponent of is prove it to yourself you know so he runs these all these little experiments well just today just you know don't have any caffeine after four and we'll see what happens and and he set up a whole bunch of those experiments for people because it's not really a big investment. Like I'm not saying do this for 30 days and then maybe, mm -hmm. maybe you'll have an ab. You know, in, you can feel these things in 24 hours or less. And, and I think when people, when people experience change for themselves, you don't have to sell anything anymore, right? When your skin clears up because you sleep more and you just drink on the weekends, then suddenly you're like, huh, I kind of like that. And I think that's always the case is when we can lead people to behaviors. When, when my patients cancel because they've, they've worked it out, I'm like, oh, good for you. You know? Well, what about my recovery tequila? I'm well, that every day. obviously to cover tequila, the key is you have, you started with my pre wad performance vodka. Oh, that's why the, the vitamin V and the vitamin T. That's yeah. Why. You know, people thought that four loco was a joke, but four loco was actually the cutting edge, like bang energy plus mad dog 2020 that really combo. I just think we're not really asking what's possible. You know, if you, if four loco is like the best, if you don't even like, I'm like, you have doms. What if you didn't feel doms? What if you couldn't even feel your face? The terrifying thing is, 
that you are so sarcastic that most people are not going to know what this episode, what, what's BS and what's not. And it's perfect. It's superpower for sure, but it's terrifying. <laughs> well, you know, what I'll say is I don't, I don't know if uh, tequila full of vitamins and collagen is the way out of performance. Uh, you know, I think if you don't know, we're referencing is that we made a uh, April Fool's joke on our site, The Ready State, about uh, Leopard Tears tequila, which was a tequila fortified with collagen and vitamins and essential aminos and glucosamine. And, and uh, people didn't know if I was joking or not. And I think that really speaks to the complexity in people's lives that you can't tell. So it's definitely, this is performance satire at its best. And if you yeah. don't, if you can't tell, I think critically about this and I'm very critical in my unconditional positive regard self. I'm quite critical of holding up the mirror and really looking at the things that we're doing. So, you know, I, I always ask how, how am I part of the problem? Well, apparently performance related tequila, putting the fun and functional, making recovery fun again that's for the first time. I wrote down performance satire. I think that's great. Performance, it is for performance satire, performance. but we have to, uh, you know, you can do that if you're very serious about transforming society, and we all should be serious about it. Through tequila. Yeah. Comma, through tequila. Because let's be honest, tequila and fresh grapefruit is pretty amazing. But you are doing tequila things with, with Costco, right? Well, no. We're using our friends who have... Um, oh, they, yeah. yes. Recovery. Them, our friends who make the margarita pops, I was like, what if we put something healthy in these same popsicle sleeves? So we're making a alternative to otter pops and an alternative to Pedialyte that's actually better for you. And like the key again is, hey, if you can make a better decision, make a better decision. So our, our performance pops are popsicles for kids that you could smash and don't have any sugar and don't have any artificial coloring and don't have any artificial ingredients and have some electrolytes and vitamins. That, that doesn't cross the line of performance satire, right? Like that, I think that's, that's yeah. putting my finger in the hole of watching my kids smash 50 Otter Pops in the summer and being like, maybe, maybe we can do better than Otter Pops. Are I mean, you can't. Pops, are those the alcoholic ones? No, those are just sugar pops. Like they're uh, colored water, Sir Isaac Lime, Alexander the Grape. Louis Blue, let raspberry. Oh my God, no. You spend a lot of time at Costco? I spend a lot of time with children. Mm. You said something earlier, and I think you said it in a different light than I heard it. You said when people are losing, and you meant literally, like when people are losing, but I think people come to you when they are just generally losing, when, they, when their life is not meeting their needs anymore. And I think it's a great point of yeah, sometimes it sucks that we have to wait until this person experiences a roadblock for them to come to us, but that's when they're going to be receptive to it and they have to feel the difference in order to, yeah. to, to commit. It sucks. It, do, it is annoying that I'm like preaching sleep all day and still someone's like, huh, I've slept six hours a night. I'm fine. And then they're telling me about their chronic pain and I'm like, no, go back. Like there's so many low hanging fruit here. You said something that it was like a part of your program. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I kind of lose my mind off is people are like, oh, you know, it's intercession change. Intercession change in a session is not that. So the, the intercession change is important. Of course, we want people to go home and have agency and be able to transform their, their experience of what's going on in their lives between visits. 
But intercession change is important. And the problem with sleep is it's an intercession change phenomenon where someone has to do some behavior. So, you know, when I come in and I can reduce, put my hands on someone or restore the range of motion or change something or pump them up and give them some confidence, right? Whatever the mechanism is, when they feel change, then that's, that's a really good way to get buy-in. You know, like, like people are like, well, you, it's temporary change. I'm like, sometimes it's temporary, but I keep at least 50% of the ranges I change between visits. So is it temporary? And the other thing is this person's using it. And, you know, sometimes that change was enough to break this, how their brain was perceiving what was going on, right? There's enough to give them their range back on the bike and improve their wattage. So I was like, so is it really just bullshit that it was intra-session change? But also, again, when you, people are like, well, I can, you know, I was able to do this pain-free for the first time. I'm like, eh, it's fake. It won't last. I'm like, just like ibuprofen won't last and, I, and alcohol won't last and opiates won't last. Like, I mean, I squatted two weeks ago. I have to squat again. Yeah, you got to mm-hmm. squat again. You know, I think that's, I think that's what we're, we're redoing is, again, maybe we need to think about, hey, the sleep is training. This is part of training. This is part of your physical practice. But as we're trying to figure out what's important, we have to at least start to create baselines. And what I call is reference positions. Well, this is not the only position you're in, but it's a good position to be able to feel if you want to jump straight up. So let's start with the reference position. And like, we can actually start with reference sleep to see if you really do feel better at six hours or if you feel better at eight hours, because it turns out you're lying. But Bill Clinton only slept four hours. I'm like, and Bill Clinton died of a heart attack. Oh my God, why do we want to be like Bill Clinton? He died of a heart attack. And then we resurrected him through medicine. Wait, he died? Yeah, he had a a terrible heart attack. I mean, why are we looking at these celebrities as like, well, they did it, so I can do it. They do a lot of shit that we do not want to do, so. Mm, I don't know. I mean, Justin Bieber had a lot of cocaine and fun at his house. And he's delightful, right? He is delightful. That's my word, not yours. Don't make fun of me. Don't, Don't you throw that in my face. Justin Bieber is amazing. So, you know, I think what's, what I really appreciate is I'm in a field that gives me access. You know, when we started initially talking about nutrition with our patients, there was a lot of pushback because we weren't nutritionists or experts. And I was like, well, how can I not talk about medicine and as food or protein as synthesis or collagen or hydration or micronutrients. How can I can't talk about that? And I have to become an expert. I have to become a dilettante and at least being cursory, you know, having minimal competency in all these fields if I'm going to change something. And physical therapy is the permission to begin initiate conversations on all of these levels. In fact, I don't think there's a better place for it, you know, unless your physician is spending 90 minutes with you, you know, and she's not. No, we have such an opportunity. And you saying that, it makes me so excited because I felt the same way of like when you, if we do, if we are talking about these fundamental non-negotiables, sleep, stress management, movement, nutrition, you're talking to someone, they're telling you all these things where you're like, red flag, they don't have that, red flag, they don't have that, red flag. But I'm not allowed to address all of those things that have a bigger impact on their knee pain than the way this person moves. Like if I can't address all those things, then I, I can't treat, I can't do my job. And fortunately we are in, I'm in the place where I do have 60 to 90 minutes with each person. Like I'm going to definitely take advantage of it. We are going to talk about these things. And, you know, I think we can ex- really continue to expand our definition of what a session means. 
by saying, hey, I need you to go home and watch this 20 minute YouTube video, right? And I need you to, and here's some, you know, I'm working with the English national soccer team right now. And, you know, we always say an expert is someone who lives a mile away. So England soccer draws from the greatest talent in all of the English, you, like European premier leagues, right? And they play for the English national team. And we're actually at a generation of, of football, European football athletes who are really paying attention. They're not the fragile flopper kids. That's a different generation of, you know, and what's interesting is we're helping them with recovery and restoration and position, but I'm not a primary coach. And so I represent sort of this third party access where the coaches can say, here's our resource for you. And then the guys can consume it when they want, when they hear it. And what I end up doing is solving a problem so that the coaches can coach and work on what they're doing. And I can be that expert delivering this information when, when the players are not on the pitch or in the weight room. And so that I'm an expert who lives a mile away and that's where we can make change. So I think what we can do is again, as I said, in that, in that uh, meeting, you know, soiree we were at just a few days ago, um, you know, I'm here to serve my community and by creating content and podcasts and curating information, then my patients start to see this as part of their network and part of their healing process is actually we are the only people where they're getting this information and we're curating for them. So synthesis and curation is very much a skill that has to be on the radars of physios because that's where people are getting anyway. They're going home and on the research is that people go on YouTube and they spend hours there. Mm. It's not on social, it's on YouTube. How many humble brags do we think you've made this whole time? I think at least four, right? Are they, are they, are they humble brags? The, the soccer, the NFL, the college, there was someone, there was a fighter. I think that's four. There's probably been more. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure I could work in more. Look, I'm, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Did when you tell all your friends that you were podcasting with Hannah Briel today? Uh, Hannah Briel DPT is what your Instagram uh, handle says? Yeah. I don't even have that in my Instagram handle. I'm just even, like Kelly. I didn't even know that you were a PT until last week. Is, is that, that true? Bad? Yeah. Did you really? I, was like, I did not know this guy was a PT, and uh, that's why, like, a few years ago, I was like, "You don't need to go to PT school." Like, look at Kelly Strett. Yeah, he's not a PT. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that great? Um, you know, it's it's interesting for me to uh, seriously to say, you know, the bona fides the humble brags are me saying I really work in difficult environments with people who sniff out bullshit very quickly and who reject broken models or, or behaviors that do not serve like very quickly people see through your shit. So our model is tested and tested and tested and retested. And I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying is here's what's worked so far. And here are the places where I keep running this model and having this conversation. And until you can show me the veracity of your model being thrown up against real world, that's why I'm so become so pragmatic and such a realist about how we think about these issues. Because, you know, it, man, if I take you to fantasy body camp and we get a massage and yes, we do are. yoga and breathing and spa and we train three times a day and you have a sports psychologist and someone makes your meals, everyone thrives in that situation. And then I'm like, okay, now go back to your crazy ass job and your two kids 
and your mother-in-law and right and your big commute and your mortgage and let me know how that perfect practice worked and it just falls apart and I think that's how we've delivered this like here's this perfect thing here's your perfect girlfriend and it turns out right like the realities are that you're that person you're, you think you want to be with is is a disaster right and he is the worst. So, you know, what I want to just be clear about is that, you know, I'm a user fighting for the users and I'm a real pragmatist about saying, when do we put this in and who owns this problem given the real world context that people are facing? So, you know, if, if I happen to be, you know, oh, you know flex on that. helping, helping world champions become world champion era, you know, that's super, that's super fun. Oh, you humble brag all you want. I love giving you a hard time. And there's a reason that you're that you are able to be in all these communities. There's a reason that you can have this impact. And and I think that speaks for itself. Like you said, like your bullshit will stand out. There's a reason that your message, hopefully this message is the loud one in a lot of these communities and that they're looking to you. They're not looking to I don't know, podunk down the street who's doing what well what, what's been great now is i for, for a minute and i've never was but for a minute there i felt like i was one of the few like i was the nail that was very high up right it was easy to pound the only nail you can see like my mm. nail was sticking up you get pounded down mm-hmm. and now i turn around and i and i appreciate how many people are doing this kind of work and speaking to their communities it's not a threat there are not enough of us to go around to capture and improve the universe, we're gonna need more voices and I'm gonna need different voices and different colors. And you know, I'm a gigantic white man and I'm not going to be able to talk to someone's cultural backgrounds or their, their gender differences and biases. I'm empath- empathetic, I am sympathetic, but I need a hundred different voices. I need 10,000 different voices and then we'll see real change. So I'm actually really, really grateful that we're starting to see a sea change. We're, we're all able to express that. I just happen to like my model, but I have enough work. You know what I mean? I, it's not like there's not any work. And I feel like in this time and age, I mean, our, this says it's made to move slow. Are you guys like twiddling your thumbs? No, I have a perfect body session actually in four minutes. So. Perfect. Well, there we go. <laughs> No, I think we, we do need, we need so many more voices. And every time I do one of these podcasts, I'm thinking if anybody ever listens to this, they're like, Oh, all Hannah does is talk about vegetables and protein and self-care and sleep. And then I have someone like you on there and I'm like, yes, like I should be talking about these things. This is what we should be talking about. And the more that we can get the right message out there, the louder that we can be with the right message, the more people that start talking about it, the more kids that are exposed to it, the less adults that are not exposed to it. We need more bodies, honestly. Rachel and I talk about that all the time. Like we have so many opportunities here in Charleston that we need to fill. Like we need, we need bodies, we need these yeah. voices. And it's a really cool way, um, a really cool thing I get to do. It's, it's podcast with Kelly Strutt on a Thursday afternoon on April it, Fool's it, Day. And he is not even a physical therapist. He's not even a PT, he's just an internet guru with a ball. He's like, holy moly. <laughs> Actually, two, awesome. two, yeah, two balls, but just. Oh my God, that's not what I meant. Small deal. Small deal. Yeah. Did you say ball? Is that what you said? Sorry. Yeah, like the lacrosse ball. Oh, the lacrosse ball. Yeah. I mean, you I know, don't um, know about your balls, but. You know, I feel like um, when we, uh, you know, 
there aren't enough of us and we're all not friends enough and you do need help and, and you can call it confirmation bias or you can be like, hmm, I see that these people are having similar experiences that I'm having and having similar conversations and, and you dramatically inform my practice. Everywhere I go, I'm listening and watching. You know, when I get to drop into a new high performance environment, I shut the hell up. You know, I just spent an hour with one of the owners of an NFL team and I listened to how they were trying to solve issues of culture through food and how they were trying to keep guys around. And, you know, what I see is there are really smart people really working on difficult problems. And when we start to, you know, test, retest and share that information, then I think we can improve the ball. It's just it's slower than we all like. Oh, yeah. But that means we still have a job, right? <laughs> Whew, job security. Woof, man, it's going to be slow. It's going to take a while. No. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly. This has been awesome. Hannah Real, such a pleasure. We got to do it again. Book it. I will. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm going to go have a perfect body session. Do it. <laughs> Bye. Have a good day. See ya. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to Instagram. Find us at Healthy Charleston. Leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.